Welcome to How We Win, the official podcast of The Persistence. Action is the best antidote for anxiety, and we're giving you the tools to make a difference right now. Today, we talk about what happens now that a major mask mandate has been struck down by a Trump-appointed judge and how you can make the best possible decisions now to stay safe. Mm-hmm. And just in time for Earth Day, this Friday, we are joined by the hosts of The Climate Pod. We're at the intersection of climate change, politics, and activism with Ty and Brock Beneful. All of that, plus our reasons for hope. I'm Steve Pearson. And I'm Mariah Craven. And And this this is how how we we win. Let me just say, if we sound a little different, I'm uh, recording from my parents' attic in Washington, D.C. right now, where I'm visiting with my folks and um, had the pleasure of being one of the first to enjoy an airline flight Mm. with the new mask rules or lack thereof. So that was interesting. Yeah, I, uh, I I think it kind of caught people a little bit by surprise. This uh, judge, Catherine Kimball Mazel from Florida, um, was appointed by, by Donald Trump, uh, voided the mandate that required masking on planes and public transportation. It came out of nowhere. We were seeing reports that pilots were announcing mid-flight, you can take your masks off. And yeah. of course, you know, people had made risk assessments and decisions to fly with their children or to fly being immunocompromised. And all of a sudden, mid-flight, people are, are you know, celebrating and taking their masks off. What, what was it like on your flight, Steve? It was interesting. I flew out of uh, Los Angeles International Airport, LAX, and uh, coming into the airport, there was a smattering of people who didn't have masks on, but I would say a good 85, 90% of the people still were wearing their masks if they were not Mm -hmm. eating. Mm -hmm. Uh, But people coming off of flights were, you know, more not wearing masks, which is, you know, because people were just getting the news. And I think a lot of people hadn't even heard the news yet. Even the PA system still had the pre-programmed, it's federal right. law to keep your mask on that was going through there. But as we got onto the plane, one of the flight attendants was not wearing a mask. And the captain made an announcement as we were about to take off that uh, masking is now your personal choice and you can do what you want. And uh I would say still about 70% of the plane was masked. I was clinging onto that mask with my dear life because, as I said, I'm coming to visit my elderly parents and we're actually seeing a surge of cases here on the East Coast. So, um, Yeah, it's a weird time, right? Because we've, I mean, I think you don't have to be an epidemiologist to notice that after every major holiday and big travel surge, um, you know, a week and a half, two weeks later, there's a surge in cases and we're already seeing, you know, a surge and and we're just days off of a holiday. So um, it's up to us as individuals now. I think at the beginning of all of this, we really relied so much on the government because we didn't have tools to kind of make assessments. There were no te- there was no testing, things like that. I would strongly encourage people to like go with their comfort level 
when it comes to your health and safety, I know that there's been, you know, a lot of confrontations, particularly mm -hmm. on planes. I find it bizarre that people who don't want to mask confront people who choose to mask. Um, right. <laughs> and, um, you know, just kind of mind your own business. But, um, you know, for those of us who are minding our business and other people's businesses um, and want to look out for other people, we can, we still have the option to mask. And I would encourage people, if that makes you feel safe, you're not alone. Many of us are going to be, are going to continue to do it. So please do it. Yeah. And as you're making this uh, now personal decision, and I do think the Justice Department should uh, appeal uh, and challenge this decision mm. because it is uh, extremely bad precedent for a federal judge to um, question a, a national health policy. Like, th like this isn't some kind of... Uh, infringement on our freedoms that uh, is happening willy-nilly. There is a, a global pandemic, a national health emergency, and that's why this directive was given, is to keep people safe. Um, but while you're factoring, now that it is a choice, the, your choices into consideration, uh, you should know that uh, Judge Mazel, um, who was appointed by Donald Trump was one of the very few judges to get a not recommend rating from the American Bar Association for the judgeship. Um, it's, it's very they don't do that very often. Uh, the American Bar Association doesn't like to wade into that. They did not recommend her. They didn't feel like she was qualified to be a judge. Um, she was nominated. There were supposed to be oral arguments on this issue next week. She forgo those, said that she was canceling the oral argument, that she had enough information, and she uh, went against the CDC and the recommendation of science uh, scientists to eliminate the uh, mandate on masks. So factor all that. I'm not saying yeah, it was no. partisan or not, but factor that information in, you know, uh, who do you really trust on this issue, the scientists behind the CDC or uh, this federal judge in Florida? Yeah, um, I did want to, such important information. Now we're in information gathering mode. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, such important information to have. The other thing I wanted to share with people is that, you know, just in time, um, a new organization from the CDC called the Center for Forecasting and Outbreak Analytics, a little bit of a mouthful, um, mm. uh, is in officially embarking this week on a mission to provide um, more information to local governments and the public um, about what's likely to happen next in public health emergency and future outbreaks. They're envisioning themselves to be like the National Weather Service, letting you know weather predictions and forecasts and things like that, but for infectious diseases. So again, just you know, trying to give people the tools that they need to make the best decisions for their families and community. And you know, th this organization wants to do it in very user-friendly and easy to understand. Um, terms. And so, you know, there's this great quote about how how they want people to, to use them. One of the, the members says, we would love for people to be able to look at us and say, I'm about to commute on the red line. Should I bring a mask based on what's happening with respiratory disease in my community? Should I have my birthday party outside or inside? So what feels manageable about this is it's not like, don't leave your house, don't not do anything. It's, you know, what precautions should, should I wear a mask on this flight? Should I wear a mask on the subway? 
um, that sort of thing. So keep an eye out for for that as you uh, start, you know, making um, more decisions for you and your family. That is great. There's uh, there's an info war, no pun intended, uh, but <laughs> there's a war on information, and uh, it, it's uh, created the huge rifts and divisions we have, and we talk about it all the time, but. Um, you know, people just don't know uh, where to get trusted information. And, and so this is a great and important resource for people. And, and thank you for flagging it. Absolutely. Um, the other um, big thing that happens this week, of course, is it was tax day. Um, mm-hmm. And it was, you know, the latest opportunity for Democrats to get our messaging out about the benefits of Biden administration tax policies and remind voters that Republicans don't have an official platform, um, that Senator Rick Scott has created a de facto platform that they may adopt that Steve, you um, gave us the heads up about weeks ago. Oh yeah. And and here's some some, additional information from that now that it's been analyzed. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It would increase taxes on the middle class. The poorest 40% of families in the country would pay an additional $1,000 annually on average. Mm. Rick Scott's plan would not raise taxes for the wealthiest Americans and most really? corporations. Huh. I can imagine that. And it would require that all federal legislation expire every five years. So things like Social Security, Medicare, the Affordable Care Act, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't help the people who need the most help. Um, it's it's an insane plan and you know always an always an opportunity to remind us you know what we're fighting for which is like basic human decency yeah and And common sense tax policy Right. And that doesn't uh, even include all of just the uh, absolute hateful, um, right. you know, non-policy policies that uh, that he put out there. And, um, you know, uh, Speaker Pelosi uh, says this a lot and it's really true. Uh, a budget is a statement mm-hmm. of principles, a statement right. of values. Um, where you put your money shows, you know, what you value. And when you consistently uh, take money away from the people that need it the most and put it in the corporations who are making enormous profits, including, uh, you know, the the Republicans love to beat the drum about inflation, but there is some tremendous price gouging with these corporations making huge profits while we are in this period of inflation at the same time. So, uh, yeah. A budget is a statement of values, and um, I appreciate uh, what Biden is doing and, and the Democrats are doing. And it's once again the most important election of our lives coming up in November. Yeah, they're really just playing politics. I didn't put this in the notes, but what you said about inflation reminded me um, that um, you know for the last couple of weeks, Texas Governor Greg Abbott has been um, holding up. Uh, trucks delivering food from Mexico to the United States at the at the border as part of one of his many political stunts that he's doing right now, mm. um, and you know over four hundred million dollars in food spoiled during that time oh period. My God. That so so food prices around here are going to go up. So anyway, as we're talking about policies, inflation, that sort of thing, just just remember in November. All the stuff that's going on right now. Oh, I like that. Remember in November. Just saying. I like how I like things that rhyme. 
(laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, let's talk about this week's Hero of the Week. For this week's Hero of the Week, I chose an organization called Free Speech for People. So vague, but check out their website, freespeechforpeople.org. <laughs> um, they, they have an amazing a mission and, and, and um, agenda that they're going after. And one of the things that they've just done is um, they are a federal judge ruled Monday that Free Speech for People um, in Georgia can proceed with a legal effort they've undertaken to disqualify Marjorie Taylor Greene from running mm. for re-election um, to Congress because of her role in the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol. Um, she uh, was part of that. She did not condemn it. Um, she's she encouraged bonkers. it. She encouraged it. She, she's, and she's bonkers. She's unfit to unfit to legislate. And so um, they are trying to stop her. Uh, they filed a challenge um, with the Georgia Secretary of State's office alleging that Green um, helped facilitate the insurrection and that should disqualify her from serving in Congress. Um, they uh, attempted the same thing um, in North Carolina with uh, Madison Cawthorn for the same reasons. And so far that hasn't held, but uh, it'll be really interesting to see what happens with uh, with Marjorie Taylor Greene in Georgia. So thanks free speech for people. Yes, thank you. I did see that. That was incredible that that was upheld. And um, we have to do something about uh, these, as you said, bonkers, which is really a polite way to to put it, because um, this is the worst of the right. I mean, they literally spoke at a uh, white supremacist convention uh, and uh, and not a not a mention of that from the Re- Republican Party. No condemnation of that whatsoever. Both Marjorie Taylor Greene and Representative Cawthorn did. Um, so th- this is this is really uh, the worst of a, a really terrible party. And um, they're in red, red, red places where um, they will most likely get reelected. Um, they also have raised you know, boatloads of money. So yay, free speech for people for finding a way uh, to hopefully remove them from office where they do not belong. All right. Um, so while free speech for people does that, we have our own marching orders to undertake. Steve, why don't you tell us about this week's to-do list? As we mentioned at the opening, it is uh, Earth Day on Friday, and um, and really every day should be Earth Day. Um, we don't talk about climate enough on this on this show. Uh, you know, we're focused on electoral stuff, but it all boils down to climate. And as Absolutely. you'll hear, yeah, as you'll hear from our interview with the Climate Pod hosts, it, it affects uh, everything, and it it actually uh, puts a big magnifying glass on inequities in our country and in our world because, of course, marginalized people are are affected the most. And uh, those same people that Senator Rick Scott is trying to take money away from and uh, and give more money to the top, that's those are the people who are getting affected by climate change uh, the most. And the people from the top are continuing to profit from things like fossil fuel. So, um, you all know the stakes. It's Earth Day. Uh, I'm encouraging everyone to go to fightforourfutures.com. Move On is hosting uh, events for Earth Day on April 23rd. Uh, there's events 
all over the country so you can find it. And some of it is uh, community get-togethers. Some of it is things like planting trees. Um, some of it is, uh, you know, protesting for uh, divesting from fossil fuels. There's all kinds of different events, uh, and you can uh, search for them and join in with one. Once again, at fightforourfutures.com, you must do it. If there's not an event near you and you have an idea for one, you can also host an event from that site too. So Great. you can get your own peeps together and host an event. Awesome. Um, can't wait to check that out and see what's going on near me. Um, if you need some motivation, uh, our conversation with the Climate Pod co-host will certainly do that for you. Take a listen and then stick around afterwards for our reasons for hope. We'll be right back. We talk about so many issues on this show and how to activate around them, but all of our hard work relies on ensuring that our planet remains livable, of course. On The Climate Pod, co-hosts Brock and Ty Beneful discuss the latest news on the climate crisis with a wide variety of experts on justice, science, politics, culture, activism, more, all the stuff that we talk about. Uh, Brock and Ty, thank you so much for being with us today. Mariah, thank you so much for having us on. We're so excited to be here. Um, before we get into the nitty gritty of the climate pod and, and talk about some of the guests you've hosted, talk to us about why you started the podcast and why you were the right host uh, for this conversation. Yeah, well, Ty and I, you can probably guess by our last names, it's not a coincidence. Uh, we are <laughs> brothers. That is uh, that is uh, not a coincidence. You know, Ty you were and I best, always... You were best man at his wedding, I heard, before we started <laughs> yeah, recording, too. Yeah. absolutely <laughs> was. That would have been quite the controversy had that not happened. Uh, it was very... Uh, very excited to to roast him at his own wedding. This nice. is pre podcast life, Ty. So this is we didn't have an outlet to record. That was your opportunity. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I should have talked about climate change. Huge missed opportunity. I know that's very popular at weddings. <laughs> right. Didn't do it, but we should have done it. But Ty and I, we've always cared about politics. We've always cared about climate change. We are always very well. Um, you know, we always voted and kept on on the news and read books and, and stayed on top of the news. But I don't feel like there was. Our, our lives in any sense were completely dedicated to the climate crisis and we didn't have an outlet to keep up on uh, what was unfolding and to talk to people that we frankly admi admired. So mm -hmm. that's why we started the podcast because we had a lot of questions ourselves. We wanted to investigate these topics very thoroughly and we wanted to talk to people that we admired. So Ty and I started this podcast just with a very simple mission to talk about the, the subjects that interest us, but to make it as wide ranging as possible. Because as, as, as you guys know, climate change can be very wonky and very serious. And you got to find there's several entry ways to get into this stuff. So that's how Ty and I started. And, and we've just been having fun doing this for three years and talking to such a great variety of guests. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, that's very similar to uh, mm -hmm. to what we do and and why I've, I'm so excited about being able to do this show is to be able to bring smart people on and learn from them. And, um, uh, you know, I love that about what we do. Um, what are some of the memorable guests that you all have had on your show and uh, that have you know, helped you understand what's happening in the world around us and what's happening uh, with our climate right now? Oh, we've had we have been so lucky, as Brock said, to be able to talk to so many 
incredible guests. And we've had childhood heroes like Bill Nye and Dr. Jane Goodall mm-hmm. on the show and, and just absolutely loved being able to, to talk to them and see how their career has evolved over time. And we've also had a ton of guests that we've learned a lot from. We had Dr. Robert Bullard on the show a couple of years ago to talk about the environmental justice impacts of the climate crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, we've been able to talk to so many politicians that really have dedicated their careers to combating the climate crisis. We had Governor Jay Inslee on the show. We've had mm-hmm. uh, Representative Sean Caston. We've had uh, Senator Sheldon Whitehouse, which I know you've had on the show as well. So, mm-hmm. I mean, we have just, we've been so lucky to talk to so many people. And I, and I think that's because people who care and work about, work on the climate crisis and work on solutions to the climate crisis, they really care about this and they want to do everything they can to get that message out there. And we've really just, we've been lucky that so many people do care and, and they've been, you know, willing to to trust us uh, as that platform for for their message time, time again. Yeah. And you, you mentioned the, the members of Congress, like Congress, uh, at least one side of Congress is getting a lot better at, at talking about it. Democratic Congress members are getting a lot better of not only talking about climate change and how we transition off fossil fuels and how we center this injustice, but you have people who actually have background and expertise. And that was less mm-hmm. the case, you know, 10 years ago. Now, again, I don't think I'm breaking news here. We're not getting many Republicans on board to talk right. about this issue at all. It's why you have to elect more Democrats to Congress. But you see more Democratic elected officials that can go in the weeds of these issues and kind of dive in deep into several different aspects. And that's been really exciting to see over the last couple of years. Um, speaking of elections, you know, we're all midterms all the, all the time right now. Mm-hmm. Are there any electeds or people who are running that you've come across or talked to that you kind of want to lift up as being champions of the types of policies that would make you vote for them? Jay Inslee not running right now, so. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think, well, go ahead, Di. Well, I was going to say, you know, we, we've had the opportunity to speak with several members of the, of the House um, mm-hmm. who, are, who are up for re-election this year. I know Sean Caston uh, in Illinois is up for re-election uh, in a tightly contested primary due to the mm. way um, the districts uh, were redrawn in Illinois. And Representative Caston has just been so incredible at, you know, really understanding how America's energy infrastructure really works mm. and communicating that to the American public. I don't think anyone ever expected uh, the Fergie song to uh, to be played on uh, on the House floor, but Sean Caston did that to to raise awareness for FERC. And if you if if for nothing else, uh, that's that should be reason enough to to have him back in in Congress for the next session. You have to tell a little bit more about that. I don't I don't know about the I'm Fergie not song. Familiar with this. Oh, you guys don't know I about mean, Hot I know Ferg Summer. Ferg- tell us about it. Yes, well, I am not about to sing it on this podcast <laughs> oh, or any mess. podcast, frankly. But he 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 basically uh, plays uh, Fergalicious, and he he replaces <laughs> uh, Fergie Ferg with Ferk, so it's Fergalicious. And he also did, like Brock said, Hot Ferk Summer, uh, all to all to just highlight the importance 
of FERC and getting a new uh, head of FERC that's going to really be a champion for the kinds of you know clean energy that we need to, to decarbonize our electricity grid and help really transition to that cleaner, more, more just uh, future. Yeah, FERC, the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. I hope I've got that acronym correct, uh, <laughs> but it's very influential. And it's in, in, in American energy policy, it's one of those things that, again, climate can be very wonky. It can be very get down into the weeds. So sometimes you gotta you gotta throw in a little Fergie to get people excited. So I'm glad <laughs> to see Congress do that. You know, Mike Levin's another one of congressmen in, in California, mm -hmm. in very blue California, though not in the most blue area, and he is not bashful at all to talk about climate or clean energy and again in 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 not quite a swing district but certainly a, a, a more competitive, competitive for sure yeah, yeah. A very a competitive yeah. district right and you know he's got an environmental law background and it's, it's one of those examples of like you look at the polling and the vast majority of americans are on board more than two-thirds so a filibuster proof what should be a filibuster proof a majority of americans are on board with the federal government ramping up uh, action on climate change. That's why it works in congressional districts like Congressman Levin's. It works across the country. We just kind of get some bills across the line to actually have the federal government involved in climate policy. Yeah. Well, uh, I think it's great that uh, Fergie's making an appearance on the, on the floor and that we're trying to hip up this conversation because as you said, it can be, you know, we're talking about scientists, you know, yeah. and science, which uh, can be a little dense for a lot of people. And sometimes the spokespersons for this uh, um, are not always the best messengers uh, because it can get a little wonky. Um, Earth Day is coming up. Actually, every day should be Earth Day. But uh, <laughs> since it's coming up, um, what are what's the advice that you have for how people can talk about what's happening with our climate? We're not necessarily talking about climate change deniers, but just how they can talk to people who acknowledge climate change, but feel like they can't really have an impact, or maybe there's more pressing issues. Which, how, how do we talk to those people? Yeah, I think the important thing to do is, number one, just by talking about climate change, you are doing one of the most important things you can do to solve this issue. Hmm. So many people, as I mentioned, do care about climate change, but the issue is one, an issue of democracy. Why don't we have elected leaders that actually, why don't we have a, a power structure in Congress to where we can pass bills that actually reflect the will of the American people, mm -hmm. but also, you know, the salience of this issue. I think a lot of people want to see climate action. I think just understanding the urgency of mm -hmm. climate action is super important. So when you're talking to people, the things that you can do to combat climate change is organize, organize, and organize. That is mm -hmm. to steal a line from Bill McKibben. That is what you can do by voting more elected uh, officials into office that care about climate change. We can kind of overwhelm Congress, right? If we just have a massive turnout in the midterms, we can kind of overwhelm Congress. We don't have to worry just about one vote in West Virginia keeping us back from hundreds of billions of dollars of mm. clean energy sp spending. And I think what you'll find is there are very few climate deniers out there. There are more people who are out there who just want to understand the facts. Right now, gasoline prices are high. People are mm. seeing what's happening in Ukraine, and they're, they're seeing a lot of uh, tumultuous stuff happen in global energy markets. People want information. They want to understand mm -hmm. how transitioning away from fossil fuels actually makes, actually grows jobs, actually improves 
health quality and actually makes us more secure at home. Talking about those things really resonates with people. Hmm. Ty, you have anything to add to that? Well, I th I'd say that, you know, climate, and this is the one thing that we've really found and we've really focused on with our podcast over the last three years, is climate is much more than, than a science issue. Climate intersects every part right. of our entire society. It's, it's influenced by and it impacts our economy, uh, our health. I mean, think about, you know, our health. Oh, the, the the air that we breathe and the water that we drink mm -hmm. are so negatively impact impacted by the burning of fossil fuels. Why why should we put up with such terrible, you know, terrible pollution? It doesn't make sense. Climate impacts social justice, climate impacts, right. you know, jobs. I mean, there's just so much national about security too. National as well. security, <laughs> so much immigration, right? Mm -hmm. There's so many things that we as a society could do better if we also focused on improving, you know, reducing greenhouse gas emissions, moving away from this dirty production of energy and moving to a, you know, a much more sustainable, a much more healthier planet and community for, for everyone. You know, if I can add just one more thing. You talked about spokespeople for the climate crisis. There are so many great groups that have been popping up just in the last few years alone that are focused on the issue of climate justice. You see so many members in Congress just elected in recent years that have brought the conversation of justice into the climate crisis, which the climate movement has often been so, so terrible, especially with legacy organizations at centering justice at the in mm. this movement. And that is critical not only for addressing the issue itself but making it a, a way for so many people to get involved and and you all recently did a uh, a series uh, partnering with global citizen is that correct yeah. which is a, a fantastic organization uh as well yeah we did we wanted to look at what are the biggest issues facing the globe when it comes to climate change under the paris agreement what, what the goal set out was to limit warming at 1.5 degrees celsius above pre-industrial levels. So for some context, we're at about 1.1. Now we could be passing that, uh, we could be passing 1.5 if we don't very quickly decarbonize in, in the next few years mm -hmm. alone. And we have to address that. We have to provide uh, funds that countries in the global north have promised to the global south for adaptation and mitigation. And we're already seeing the impacts of climate change around the globe. There has been real loss and damage that have occurred around the globe. And countries that have been the most responsible, like the United States, owe other countries uh, financing to address what the, the damage that has occurred. Hmm. Are there any um, groups that you would recommend our listeners check out if they want to organize or donate or, or get involved in any kind of way? There are so many great groups. Definitely check out the Solutions Project. They're they're doing great stuff in terms of working with local groups around the country for clean energy solutions. We always love 350.org, the Sunrise Movement. They're building mm -hmm. a lot of political power. And this is about building political power. Uh, Evergreen Action's doing great on the policy end, Rewiring America's a great group and getting more Americans to understanding 
how they can electrify their homes. This is one of the best ways that we can fight the climate crisis. And it's one of the things that hopefully will get better and better policy over the coming years so that more Americans can make that decision and immediately reap the financial rewards. But as I mentioned, there's so many groups out there. Yeah. If you're donating to a great, like there's everywhere you turn, there's another great group that is fighting the good fight. And that makes Ty and I so excited because we have so many opportunities for great guests on our show. <laughs> You sound excited. You're very fired up. I love it. <laughs> um, why don't we wrap up by having you all answer the question we ask everyone on our very positive, forward-looking <laughs> podcast. Um, what gives you hope for the future? Ty, why don't you kick us off with that one? Which is admittedly I a loaded question when it comes to <laughs> the climate change <laughs> problems that we're facing right now. But Please, sorry. Go ahead, Ty. <laughs> well, I, I'd say what gives me hope for the future is that we have all of the solutions with us right now today. Oh. I mean, that's what the latest IPCC report said. We've got it. We've got solar. We've got wind. They're incredibly cheap right now. We've got lithium-ion uh, batteries. We've got all the things that we need to solve this thing. We just have to muster up the political will to actually get it done, to deploy it at the scale and the speed necessary. This we this is not going to require some far-fetched, you know, sci-fi solution to solve this thing. We've got it. We just have to deploy it. And and that should give you hope that we can actually get this thing done. Awesome. Brock? What about you, Brock? Yeah, I, I have been so excited. You know, Ty and I started the podcast after the 2018 IPCC report. Uh, this is the goal. This is the, the we have 12 years left to solve this issue. Mm -hmm. This is why Greta went out and started the school strike. This has led to a wave of activism. That wave of activism is what gives me hope. This is the group. This is a lot of younger protests, but this is across every generation. Ty and I are old millennials. Like we're out of, you know, we're not, uh, <laughs> we're not at the center of the conversation. Um, but there have been so many great activists that are doing exactly what we talked about. They're centering justice. They're well-versed in policy. They're organizing and they are fighting for real solutions at the global level, at the national level, at the local level. That gives me hope that we can start to overwhelm policymakers with these demands and with these votes. And we saw this in the 2020 election. We had a you know, it's a ton of youth turnout, and that's why I hope that they will, that Congress will pass a spending bill that addresses uh, reducing greenhouse gas emissions, so that we have that same youth turnout this fall when we have the midterm elections. Love it. Well, uh, Brock and Ty, you're doing amazing work. Everyone, mm -hmm. please check out, subscribe to The Climate Pod. Uh, it's so great to have that resource to go deep on really the the pressing and most important issue of our time uh, that, as you all said, affects everything else that we work on. And let's call our reps. Let's push them um, to pass this important legislation, too. You guys, thank you so much. I, I hope we get a chance to have another conversation like this soon. Yeah, this was great. Steve and Rye, you guys are doing such amazing work as well. Thank you so much for having on the show, having us on the show. You're welcome. I wasn't fishing for that, but you know, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Let's all compliment each other. <laughs> yes, aren't we, aren't we swell? <laughs> <laughs> all right.
Mariah, uh, we are back, and I am excited to hear what your reason for hope is this week. Um, my reason for hope is uh, Dr. Ruby Tapia. I apologize if I mispronounced her name. Um, so she is um, the department chair and associate professor of English language and literature and women's and gender studies. Woo! at uh, University of Michigan. Um, she had this great thread on Twitter this week, just reminiscing about what it was like to get a sweatshirt from Cornell, which is where she did her <laughs> undergrad. And at first I thought it was gonna be a Cornell jokey kind of tweet, but it's about what it's like to go to college with no one and nothing and and to the point that you can't afford the sweatshirt to represent the college that you're at. She didn't get the sweatshirt until her brother came to her graduation and bought one for her. And he'd never seen her in college because her family couldn't afford to visit her. Um, they could barely mm. afford to send her. And so she is just is such an important reminder. You know, she said that while her roommates and all the people in her dorm were moving in with their parents, she was applying for a job at the nearby hotel where all the parents were staying. And she wasn't given a front desk job because she was Latina. She was sent to the housekeeping department, even though mm. she'd been told that before she arrived that she would be at the front desk. Um, so just a reminder, we've talked on this podcast before about the importance of when um, first generation students go, go to college, A, that it's affordable, B, that it's a welcoming place and C, that there are resources for them. You know, this is somebody who did not have that experience and overcame it and is working to make sure that other people have that experience. So um, find her on Twitter, check out this thread. It is the best thing on Twitter that you'll read all week. It's probably the only good thing on Twitter this week. <laughs> There's no garbage over there. <laughs> a lot of garbage Twitter this week. Yeah, that's so that's nice to have some good stuff. And that's a nice reason for hope. Also, uh, maybe a second hero of the week as well. So I absolutely. Like yeah. And um, your reason for hope this week is extremely relevant. Talk to us about it. Well, yeah, you know, you got to hit a theme over the head and, uh, you know, because, um, you know, I, I mean, I got a lot of hope from the Climate Pod guys interview because, you know, what mm -hmm. boiled yeah. down and I've listened to a few of their podcasts too, um, as dire as the situation truly is, and we all know the existential threat that our uh, very planet and humanity faces due to climate change the tools are there for us to combat it and um, and the opportunities for us to really turn it around and, and help heal our planet and ensure a better future for our children uh, is there if we have the political will to do it. So my, my reason for hope is seeing that in action. Um, I didn't know about this, but there's an oceans conference. It's called the Our Ocean Conference, this is the seventh one uh, that happened just April 13th and 14th. And uh, it includes international delegates representing governments, businesses, academic and research institutions, civil society, youth leaders, philanthropical organizations, um, all kinds of people came together. And uh, they announced major commitments worth more than 16 billion mm. to protect ocean health. Wow. Um, so uh, obviously, 
we tend to dump a lot into our oceans. We see uh, the incredible, important biodiversity in our oceans uh, being diminished. Uh, that's where oil spills happen. That's where trash dumps happen. That's where the great island of plastics continues to um, to pile up in our oceans. So, you know, this is a major initiative, $16 billion to help keep our oceans clean and um, such an important and hopeful conclusion to that conference that I didn't even know existed. Well, neither did I. And thanks for bringing that to us. And $16 billion sounds like a lot, but we have a, a lot of work to do in our oceans. So yeah, it's probably not that. It's probably, you know what? That $16 billion is probably just a drop in the ocean. But uh, uh Thank you for joining us today. This is how we win. We win when we all get involved. We want to hear from you, even your corny dad jokes. Send us an email at hello at howwewinpod.com or tweet to us at bluesvoicesteve and at mariah underscore craven. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review on Apple or wherever you get your pods. Share us with your friends and help us build this community of informed and active volunteers. This is how we win. We appreciate you being here with us, and we'll be back with more next Wednesday. MSW.